Blog Talk Radio. In fact, I should say good day. It's uh, morning here east on the east coast of the United States, 6 o'clock in the morning. But for all of you around the world, uh, good day. This is The Rudder, your guide to fast and sustainable business growth. Uh, I'm William Eastman, your host, and I am the managing partner for U.S. operations for Applied Knowledge Labs. And we are hosting this show out of our Atlantic office in Richmond, Virginia. Um, you can join us today in the conversation by clicking the chat now link on your screen, or you can call in directly, and that number is 347-215-7471. That's 347-215-7471. Today is Wednesday, the 24th of June, 2009, and today's show is um, the third in our series. Um, concerning the book that we have been laboring and working on and based upon research and three years of experience called The Code. And today's show is what we're terming profiles of success. What does entrepreneurial competence look like? Now, before I start off here, I, um, I want to say, uh, say something that um, I, th- I think is very true because it's true about me. And it's, I think it's, I suspect it is true about all entrepreneurs. And that is, uh, our businesses are extension of us, ourselves. And that all businesses take on the personalities of the owner or owners. Um, and that's both a good news and a bad news story. Um, we ought, man, in, the, in our business, we say that all businesses are idiosyncratic. And that, that they all have kind of this weird combination of traits. And then what you see really is that all businesses have their own personalities. And what it gets down to is that the company is an extension of the personality of the founder or founders or owner and owners. And if they're around long enough, that culture can permeate the firm for a good long while. Um, a good example of that is Hewitt Packard, that after all these years with, with uh, Bill Hewitt and David Packard, Packard being long gone from the scene, it's still a very uh, entrepreneurial company in terms of innovation and science and engineering. <clears throat> and so a lot of those characteristics stay. The reason we're tackling it today is this. We're going to be talking about things, for the most part, that are trainable or that are issues related to training. Um, talking about things that are characteristics or traits, um, I'm not sure really what the, what, the wor- what the worthiness of that is because pretty much you have them or you don't. So everything we do is around actionable ideas. But I thought it would be also, uh, we'd be guilty of malpractice if we didn't stop and we say, okay, let's take a good look at what makes up su- successful entrepreneurship. And I think the theme that I'm going to take for the next um, 24, uh, 25 minutes is this. 
I don't know how to help you on some of these issues. What I can do is make you aware of where you stand, because as I was going through my uh, list last night and then this morning on my uh, on my pre uh, my show prep, I still struggled with, you know, I don't do that one very well. And so I think that that's the emphasis I want to take is as we go through these, I'm going to, I want you to think about yourself and be, since you're not sharing this information, it's going to be done in your head. Think about uh, with an honest evaluation whether or not you really truly do this or you do this well and what is it going to take to get better. The other thing I want to say to you before we start is that uh, all of our show notes uh, go up on our corporate blog. And I'm, I'm, let me give that to to everybody. It's called the Rudder. It's part of uh, Google. It's part of Google uh, Blogger, or the URL is my full name, William Eastman. W i l l i a m e a s t m a n at dot blogspot dot com. And so what you'll find is every day's show notes up there. And that will also get you into kind of our web of blogs. We run a number of blogs, some for startup businesses and some for uh, smaller businesses, small cap companies that are looking for fast growth. Okay, so here's where we go. The story that I want to lead with is this. Um, I've been in the industry 30 years. I've had lots of interesting experiences, uh, some of them very, very profound and life-changing. One of those changes uh, that were both that was both profound and life changing for a new, for a number of reasons was I was hired to um, do some work for the United Nations. Now, the, the, my company at the time, and it was my first startup, um, was hired uh, to subcon uh, was hired as a subcontractor to another company who had a contract with USAID. Um, and then USAID had a contract with the United Nations. So it was kind of convoluted. But the, the bottom line is that I went to work ultimately for the United Nations Development Programs, UNDP, and specifically a program called Empertech. And Empertech was a methodology for trying to bring transnational corporations together with local people and not just a matter of uh, taking resources from Africa, in this particular case where I was working, but helping those small businesses engage in more and more of the revenue. So some of the some of the money stayed behind um, that was not just going to take the raw materials, uh, whether that was minerals or whether that was produce or whether that was wood, et cetera, et cetera. And so I got involved in this program, took over the uh, management of it, and it was a very strange dynamic to uh, the first time you ever trained something. You've been put in charge of a group of people who have been in the field for five or six months who were not very happy to see you and really didn't believe that you had the ability um, either to train it or to manage it. So uh, that's a great story for over beer. But what struck me the most was uh, we were running a three-week program. We were doing one uh, particular uh, – this three-week program was aimed at doing a business incubators for existing businesses and help them get microloans from the bank. And it's typical of my training of my training style in those days was that uh, after the first week, we would take Monday morning, the first hour, and say, okay, let's just talk to each other. What happened last week? What did you think of it? What came to mind? And kind of engage them. And uh, it, it took us two weeks uh, to get there because it wasn't until the second 
uh, it was until really the third Monday morning, the beginning of the last week, the second time that we did this, that we got into a very honest conversation. And one of the things that struck me uh, was that I had more in common with these people than I did with my own family. I mean, here's a group of Africans. That, uh, at the time, we were in, in Ghana. So uh, they were Ghanaians. Our lives couldn't be any more different. Our experiences, where we grew up, how we were educated, uh, the governmental systems we operated under, the ease or complexity of doing business. I mean, by any number of factors, you could find you could find thousands and thousands of differences and almost no similarities between us, except what I realized in that first hour of that Monday was that th these people were my brothers and sisters, and that the issue of entrepreneurship is it's kind of like being a priest or working in social work or going into medicine. You have to be called. It really much is a calling. And if you're not called, um, you probably won't do well. Um, and so I, that was one of the reasons why I, I, I just was marveled at how much we had in common uh, between us. And so uh, I really took that to heart, and it, and it really pushed me on the path that we are today as a business because um, as we run our company, Applied Knowledge Labs, uh, we're taking knowledge and taking it down to uh, down market to small businesses and longer consulting large corporations. So anyway, uh, that was probably, the story was probably a little too long, but I learned a lot of things. And what we did is we, did, we had a screening process of for who were the candidates, who were the people that we allowed in this program, because it was highly competitive. Uh, any local business person who had an opportunity to compete for this did, because they really wanted to be in and be involved, um, because it, it not only did they get great information, but it put them in, in line for micro uh, microloans and, and access to banks and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, government officials. So it was kind of prestigious if you were picked to be in there. So. Everybody wanted to be in it, and, and so we had to have a selection process to say, these people have the profile of true entrepreneurs, excuse me, and these people don't. And so what we did is we looked at what were the traits and characteristics of entrepreneurship that we're looking for that we want to enhance upon. So let me give you five, and one of these I'm going to break down and make the focus of the show. These, these I'm going to call these traits or clusters of traits. Um, that we looked for when used for screening and or if we used for training. The first one was the achievement cluster. And this one was pretty much a yes, no, you have the trait or you don't. And this contained things like initiative, seeking and taking action on opportunities, persistence, seeking information, concern for work quality, concern for work efficiency, etc. Um, probably a Probably the foremost, uh, the foremost researcher and thinker on this was David McClellan, uh, who said that uh, individuals basically have three, uh, three motives behind why they, they do things. One is a power motive, one is an affiliation motive, and one is an achievement motive. And what he, and what he was talking about is that successful entrepreneurs had one thing in common, is that they were very high on achievement, and uh, moderately okay on power, and they were all universally low on relationships because apparently uh, you couldn't be high in relationships and high in uh, 
achievement, they, they kind of cancel each other out. So, And this is the one that we're going to drill down a lot more in the show. The second one was the thinking and problem-solving cluster, which is how we plan, how we problem-solve, how we make decisions, which are all very trainable skills, though we did screen for it. The third one was personal maturity, which was self-confidence. This is really not trainable, except that self-confidence, at least some basis of self-confidence, comes from our efficacy as, as people or our efficacy in the professions that we're in. You know, how well do we do them? The fourth cluster was the influence cluster, which dealt with uh, persuasion and the use of influence, which is predominantly trainable. And then the, finally, then the final trait or cluster was directing or controlling. And this had to do with assertiveness, which was somewhat trainable, but also somewhat of a, a, a trait or characteristic. So we looked at thousands of applicants and screened them and say, okay, here are the individuals who have the at a, at a minimum cluster, a minimum profile in these areas that would then allow them to gain from the training so that if you got somebody who is not an entrepreneur, and, and this has turned out to be true year after year, somebody who is not an entrepreneur in terms of their own personal traits and characteristics, you can train them all day. They're not going to get any good. And so what I want to share with you, as we take the first one, the achievement cluster, and break this one down, I want you to think to yourself, well, how do I stand on this? Am I really am I am I really good at this? Is this something I should be doing? And what can I do to build influences in the environment that will make it easier for me to be successful in these um, uh, easier to be successful in these areas? So let's let's go from there. Let's take the achievement cluster and let's talk about the first one: opportunity seeking and initiative. And by the way, let me say this again is that I'm going to have the show prep notes as I go through this. So if you want to go to our blog site, and that's williameastman.blogspot.com, um, I will have by noon today, within four hours, five hours of the, of the end of the show, I'll have these notes up so you can track it. And if you want to engage me personally in a conversation um, about this, either through correspondence or through a call, I can break this down in even greater detail. So let's take opportunity seeking and initiative. What does that mean? Well, there are some traits in here. Let's take the first behavior indicator of how present this is with you. Um, do you do things before being asked or forced by events? In other words, you see it coming. Do you say, okay, I'm going to go out there and grab that, or you're going to sit back and go, well, I'm just going to pay. I'm not going to pay any attention to it, or I'm going to wait to do it until I'm forced. So that's one. A second one in the Opportunity Seeking an Initiative is acts to extend the business into new areas, products, or services. In other words, um, you're scanning the horizon. You're looking at uh, what's happening in the marketplace. You see a new opportunity for the company. Um, do you kind of do you get there, and do you get there first? A third one in Opportunity Seeking an Initiative is do you seize unusual opportunities to start a new business, to start a new business line, to obtain financing, equipment, land, workspace, system, uh, assistance, new products and services. Um, so that is, the, that is also part of opportunity seeking and initiative. And by the way, if you want to join us directly through chat, you can, you can get online if you've got any questions uh, by clicking on our screen at blogtalkradio.com slash the rudder and there's a hyphen in there, or you can call in 
and our phone number at uh, 347-215-7471. That's 347-215-7471. Okay. Risk-taking is the next one. So we, under the achievement, we've got opportunity-seeking and initiative. The next one is risk-taking. And risk-taking is, do you deliberately calculate the risk and evaluate alternatives? And what's critical about this um, is that a lot of times we see entrepreneurs as, as kind of uh, riverboat gamblers, kind of like the, the, the American TV show Maverick, or you saw the movie with Mel Gibson, kind of this gambler, double down, all or nothing. That is not the case of entrepreneurs. Uh, they have so much at risk that what they're good at is evaluating and taking calculated risk. And so we are not riverboat gamblers. We do take risk, and we're willing to take them, but we've also done our homework, and we're confident in our own abilities. A second one with risk-taking is whether or not you take action to reduce risk or to control outcomes. In other words, scanning the environment, taking what's going on, and saying, okay, if we can do X, Y, and Z, then we can reduce the, the risk involved, or if we purchase this particular thing, we can take entire risk out of it. So do you take action to reduce risk or to control outcomes? A third one, and the last one for risk-taking, is do you place yourself in situations involving challenge or moderate risk? And what this looks at on a, on a kind of a continuum between high risk, low risk, is that if you, if you are, again, that riverboat gambler, take a great deal of risk, you're not going to be successful as an entrepreneur. If you're risk-averse and you're on the other end of the continuum, you've got no business. Go get a job uh, as an entrepreneur. So those are the ones in risk-taking. So now let's take the third component of this. So we had opportunity-seeking and initiative, risk-taking. The third one was demand for efficiency and quality. Now, what are the behaviors that you would see here? Well, one is to find ways to do things better, faster, or cheaper, or different, BFD. Uh, we used to call it, and if you know what BFD does, I won't, uh, means I won't define it for you. The second behavior you see in this demand for efficiency and quality is acts to do things that meet or exceed, or exceed standards of excellence. And so what happens is that it, at the very minimum, you make sure that everything that is happening in your business or everything that you're doing is done as well as it can be done, and that if there are no standards, you've created them. A third behavior that you'll see here is develop the use of procedures to ensure work is completed on time or that it meets agreed-upon standards of quality. And as we talk about the different stages of growth, um, in your first two stages where either you're working on your plan before you start selling or while you're selling, this one is probably not as critical. But when you get to stage three, the next act, this trait, this characteristic, is absolutely essential to the success of the business. So that takes the care of our demand for efficiency and quality. Let me take you to the fourth one that makes up this group, achievement cluster, and that's persistence. And what... What's, what are some of the behaviors that you see around persistence? Well, one is taking action in the face of significant obstacles. Um, and we all encounter that. As a matter of fact, in many ways, entrepreneurship is nothing more than a contest of will, you against the environment that you're selling or building into, and whether or not you have the ability to stick it through and especially when things aren't going well, to get yourself up early in the morning and ta tackle something that you know is not going to bring you any immediate revenue and the cigar box is empty of money. 
do you get motivated or you stay in bed and say, screw it. Um, a second one, a behavior you see with persistence, is taking repeated action or switching to an alternative strategy to meet the challenge and overcome the obstacle. So do you take repeated actions to overcome it, or do you find an alternative strategy, but basically if it's something that should be done, do you find a way to get there? Do you go through it, over it, around it, under it? And that is a second behavioral characteristic of persistence. Let me give you the third and the last of the behavioral characteristics of persistence, and that is takes personal responsibility for the performance necessary to, teach, uh, to achieve goals and objectives. And by taking personal responsibility, what happens here is you don't allow events out external to yourself uh, work as obstacles, nor do you use them as excuses. You say to yourself, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this right. And even though you may not have any control at all over what's going on uh, in terms of your success or lack of success, you still keep, that pers uh, you still keep being persistent at it. So let me kind of review where we are so far. So we're looking at the achievement cluster, traits and characteristics. And as I go through the, these, what I was asking you to do was to think about how well, how well you fall into it. And so far, we've talked about opportunity-seeking and initiative as one, risk-taking as a second one, demand for efficiency and quality as a third one, a fourth is persistent, now, the fifth one is commitment to the work contract. And then when we look at commitment to the work contract, which is really critical here, let's take a couple. Let's take, let's take some of the behavioral characteristics of if I'm committed to the work contract, what would you see? Uh, one is makes personal sacrifice or expends extraordinary, extraordinary effort to complete the job. And so the example of that, I'm sure you've been there, is when it's 10 o'clock at night, it's due tomorrow. Um, you could you could turn it out half-assed and go to bed, or do you stay up all night and get it done? Or in this particular case, we committed to do a radio show. I worked until about midnight last night on some project work. Do you get up at four o'clock in the morning to do your uh, your prep work for the show so that your commitment, even though there may not be a single person listening to the show live right now? You made that commitment, what do you do to keep that up? And it's critical because not only is it important for you, and it creates kind of a set of cultural specifications within the firm to say, gee, how do we do business around here? A second behavior related to the commitment to the work contract is pitching in with workers or in their place to get the job done. Now, the, the only issue here with this one is just make sure that you don't do it all the time because if you do, and then what will happen is that you'll have people who constantly are waiting for you to step in. But what that also says is that if we're in a jam, you're no better than they are, they're no worse than you are, and it kind of builds a camaraderie and teamwork uh, that you need in the firm. The third behavior that you'll see here is strives to keep customers satisfied and places long-term goodwill over short-term gain. And that is huge because really, if you think about this idea, is that when we say work contract, what you what you can see um, as you what what comes to the mind's eye, I guess is the way to say it around a work contract, is that we think just about the job. 
the reality is that when we make commitments to people and we're involved in professional relationships, a psychological contract is created. We have one with the customer. We have one with our employees. We have one with our investors. If I'm a co-owner of the company, I have one with co-owners, um, anybody that's involved in the firm. And so what, what gets established here is there's all these types of implied uh, or uh, stated contracts of people's expectations and standards of performance. And the amount of commitment that I show to the ones that are written that are obvious will be reflected in the ones that I show to the ones that are just verbal. Like if I made a verbal commitment to somebody on a deal, and I'm struggling with that right now, I made a verbal commitment on some commissions that were paying in sales. Well, what's happened is because of what we've had to do to get the business, I now have cost of sales that are over 35%. We have a rule in the company that we never pay over 30% for anything that costs the sales. I mean, I, for, for 30%, I'll take my clothes off and dance on the street corner. And so, but in this case, um, I got to do it because we made those commitments. And those type of commitments, even though this is going to cost us 5%, and with the size of the contract, that 5% is not inconsiderable. On the other hand, is that's, that's what we said we would do. That's what we're going to do. And so it is incredibly critical about how I handle some of those implied contracts that we all have with people. It really then becomes part of how we do business and part of the culture. And so let me kind of close out. You can go, you can go to our blog site and that's williameastman.blogspot.com uh, to take a look at the show notes here. But what we talked about today in, in today's uh, show, in the, in the as I should say the third show, but the second in the installment around our upcoming book, The Code. And let me just plug The Code a little bit um, right now. It's not available for sale yet. And what happened is the book was written as a sum total of all the, of all of the experience we had in consulting, plus the, at the time, three years of research that we did to build the basis of the firm. Applied Knowledge Labs is basically a research and product development company. Um, our, our products are all aimed at providing feedback to entrepreneurs and business owners about what they need to do to, to achieve fast and sustainable growth uh, with their companies. And originally, we wrote the book um, to have it ready when we went live in January of 2006. Um, but I pulled it back because the challenge that I had with the book was that it was, I don't want to say theoretical, but it was based upon what we researched and what we did and how we built the company. But it didn't tell the story of, okay, since we started the company, what did we learn? And it didn't have the type of real-time experiences in it. Um, that I wanted to have to say, okay, now let's, let's talk about what happened at this company. And what we've done over the last couple of years is kind of kept a, a running dialogue or a diary of what we've learned in the process. And so what we're going to do with the book is the book will be out this year. Um, probably in the next show I'll give you some sort of commitment to exactly when we're going to bring it out. But what we've done with the book is we've the book is based upon our series of experiences and what we've learned in each stage and what we've learned about ourselves as a company. So it's going to be it's it's going to be just as factual as, as the original one that we wrote, but this time it's going to be uh, it's going to be far more 
Um, it's going to be a much more lively, I guess, is what the word I'm looking for here. Um, so anyway, um, this is an area that we added to the book because what I found out after doing this for a period of time, we're going to add this part of the book because what we didn't address is we didn't address these entrepreneurial issues, and that was one of the areas that uh, I felt that we were lacking in. So, all right, let me give you a quick update here as we close out the show. Uh, today's show was on profiles of success, entrepreneurial competence. You can you can find this listed on our blog site at williameastman.blogspot.com, and uh, or you can just click the links on uh, on our blog talk radio site that'll take you there. Uh, tomorrow we'll be we're going to get into the stages of growth. And tomorrow's show is going to be turning your dream into a winning plan, which is basically how do you, what does stage one look like in successful businesses, and how do I go from concept to sales as quickly as possible so I don't expend um, too much of my rare budget. And so that's what we've got planned uh, for tomorrow. I'll have by noon, somebody in our company will have that information up on the blog spot. I want to tell everybody who tuned in today or joined us in the chat, we had several people in the chat space, I greatly appreciate your time. We may in the future move this forward and start doing this in a better time, but right now as we're testing everything out, I prefer 6 in the morning. So you take care, have a great business day, and looking forward to seeing you online. Ciao.